It's December 25th, 2019. Merry Christmas and welcome to a special year-end edition of Bite Marks Cafe where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And of course, uh, during this special two-part edition of the show, we've invited two prominent executives in Hawaii, Rich Wacker, President and Chief Executive Officer of American Savings Bank, and Micah Kane, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Hawaii Community Foundation. And they're here to talk about Hawaii's innovation economy and how Hawaii can thrive in the 21st century. In part one, we'll take a look at accomplishments and challenges in 2019. Then in part two, we'll take a look at goals and objectives for 2020. And now it is my pleasure to welcome Rich and Micah to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us here. Hope Santa Claus treated you well. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping. <laughs> Micah, you know, maybe we'll, we'll start off with uh, how, well, you both characterize what 2019 uh what kind of messages did we get out of 2019? What kind of accomplishments? What, what, how would you characterize 2019? Well, I think for, for us, I mean, those who were involved at the Hawaii Executive Conference and those of who are, it was a time of reflection. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was no question. It was a time of um, reflecting on really what is the well-being of people in place in Hawaii and, you know, and understanding that we have some really, really deep issues that we're going to have to face as leadership in Hawaii across all sectors, both business, um, political, nonprofit. I mean, you name it, um, it, these issues cross all sectors right now. And I think it was, um, we saw opportunity to come together as uh, leaders across stake, across various stakeholders to really try to figure out a way to tackle some of these issues and I think so we're poised right now to move forward into 2020 to to do that so I think the work we did was really about reflection and and positioning. Now in terms of uh, the kinds of uh, I guess the data points that were really in your face were there things that kind of popped out and made you really start to think? Well, for one, um, getting a, a broader group of people to adopt a, a consistent framework um, to understand the well-being of people in place. And that's what the change framework is. It's mm-hmm. an acronym that represents community economy, health and wellness, arts and culture, natural environment, government and civic engagement, and education change. And then across that change framework, those six sectors, there's 19 subsectors and actually 46 indicators that actually tell us quantifiably what is the well-being of people in place. And when we did that and we looked at those numbers, it told us some things. And one of the interesting things and sad things it told us it said that one out of every two people in Hawaii is one paycheck away from a financial catastrophe. And, and that's not healthy. And as a result of that, many of these people in the middle class are now leaving Hawaii, and mm-hmm. um, and that's not acceptable. Right. I mean, I've I've heard numbers like uh, the actual population is decreasing. Yes, you know, since 2010, between 2010 and 2018, we've saw more than a seven percent decrease in the population on the island of Oahu. Mm-hmm. That's close. That's over sixty thousand sixty thousand people who left Oahu and. When we look at the data, it's primarily middle-class families. Those who can actually afford to leave are leaving. And so what's left are those who can't afford to leave and who have actually the finances to be able to stay here. And that's, that's, the, that's the muscle of our economy. That's the muscle of our future. And I think leaders across all industries, including riches, are recognizing that, you know, as, as you stated off, offline, Rich, you know, middle-income families can't buy median-income homes here. Right. 
So, Rich, I mean, what's your what's your assessment of 2019? So, you know, I think, as Micah said, uh, people needed – we did a lot of reflection because the year overall was a pretty good year, right? The economy's mm-hmm, strong, mm-hmm. unemployment's uh, at record low levels. And even despite all that strength, uh, we still have these challenges, right, where people can't afford to live here the way they want. We have people not only – uh, who are leaving because of the cost factors, but they're leaving because they don't think that maybe the job opportunities are as good here as they are uh, in on the mainland if they want to pursue careers in some sectors. Can they really get the jobs here that they want to get, or do they have to go somewhere else? And so when we, when we look at that and we say, uh, for a Hawaii, if we want to keep Hawaii the way it is and the way we want it to be in the future, we have to have a, a strong economy, right? There's no shortage of things where, you you know, you, you talk to anybody, you watch the news, you look at the paper. Everybody needs money for investment, for, you know, new this. We, we've got infrastructure that we need. We've got more housing that we need. All that takes money, and the only thing that generates that is a strong economy. So where we are, we're the, the, the growth of the hospitality sector, probably not going to be, uh, a str- it's going to stay an important part and, and the biggest part, but how much more can it grow without encroaching on the the rest of the, the environment of the state that, you know, and mm-hmm. how much more can we support on that? The federal presence is here and it's big and strong, but can is it going to grow or is there more risk that, uh, you know, we, we will lose some of it, right? And we have to fight to maintain our competitiveness for that. So what else is going to grow the economy so that we have good-paying jobs that people can afford to live here and, and they have that kind of opportunity to, uh, that they want career-wise? Well, and, and you're, you're getting to a, a topic that uh, I'm, I'm really interested in is, is sort of this uh, innovation economy. And, and I'd like to kind of get your impressions of, of what exactly is the innovation economy. Another data point, uh, Micah, too, is that uh, the, the demographic of 18 to 35, four-year-olds is also kind of decreasing. And that is probably the demographic that really fuels that innovation economy. But maybe, uh, Rich, uh, tell me, how would you sort of characterize or or define what the innovation economy is? Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's a broad description that that captures a lot of different things. The part that I'm most focused on Mm -hmm. is the, the, uh, the part of the economy that can be stronger and generate um, new companies, new growth uh, for Hawaii because of the, the technology innovation uh, that really is here through the university presence, right? When you look at, at the, the strength that, that our universities have on the research front, the kind of uh, research funding that comes into Hawaii, there's amazing uh, intellectual capital here that uh, can be a generator of, of growth, of new ideas, of new innovation that can make Hawaii companies stronger, that can create new companies uh, for Hawaii. And that's the part that, that I'm really focused on. Mm-hmm. Now, Micah, you mentioned the uh, the Hawaii Executive Conference. And for most of us, uh, we probably aren't you know in that circle. So maybe tell us a little bit about what the Hawaii um, Executive Conference pulls together, and how is it evolving sure. into the you know, the collaborative? Well, the Hawaii Executive Conference has been around for nearly 80 years, and back in the old days, it was, you know, the energy was driven by the big five, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. business people coming together, you know, talking about the year, 
and looking and forecasting forward what the year would bring. And it, and that, that went on for a good 70 years, 67 years. But in the 90s, uh, and, and quite frankly, probably in the two, early 2000s, it started to lose a little bit of its luster. Mm-hmm. It became more of a um, less, less substantive conversation. But in 2016, uh, Dwayne Carisu, a business, local businessman and philanthropist in Hawaii, took over the rights of, of that of that conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it had some debt tied to it that he had to pay off, and then he hibernated it for a year, and he reconstituted it in something that he felt would have a much more meaningful impact on some of the challenges that Hawaii was facing. We approached him with the change framework, knowing that he was getting these leaders together. And, and so today... Um, the conference is, uh, we think, a better representation of the Hawaii state community at large, not just the business community, but elected leaders, nonprofit leaders, union leaders, philanthropists, uh, some community leaders. It'll continue to grow to be a better reflection of our community. But those leaders are convening, you know, across a four or five day period. But but today they're they're coming based on the work that was happening. Uh, the the year prior mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. the year prior work are committees that are organized around that change framework, and so we're trying to build that muscle of actually getting things done, and not just expecting others to solve it for us. Now you know <clears throat> I do want to find out how you actually pitched the idea of the change framework and got the the Hawaii Executive uh, Conference and Collaborative to actually embrace it and adopt it. But we're going to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Micah Kane and Rich Wacker about Hawaii's innovation economy. This is Bite Marks Cafe. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Rich Wacker and Micah Kane about the innovation economy and what was accomplished in 2019. Of course, right before the break, we were talking about the Hawaii Executive Conference and, and of course, the kind of the matching up of the change framework, which, which uh, Micah, you and uh, Hawaii Community Foundation was really kind of putting together. How was it that you took that and got... Uh, guys like Dwayne Carisu and the and the executive um, uh, conference to to embrace it. Well, I think once the framework were, was established and we started seeing the type of data that was coming out and some of the compelling opportunities we felt we had as a place to possibly come together if we could get the right leadership um, around a kind of common set of data to mm-hmm. create kind of some shared goals to possibly take on some collective action. Then, you know, the whole executive conference became kind of a natural target for us. And so when uh, knowing Duane and had, having had the opportunity to work with him and knowing what he was doing, we just started having a conversation. And when we started, um, I mean, Hawaii Community Foundation, while we may be um, a large in a way, you know, we can't solve Hawaii's problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we can start to highlight it. We can align our resources, but we're only as strong as the partners we can attract to it. And this was a partner that we saw had really, really great potential mm-hmm. if we could align our resources, align our influence, align our strategies. And so when we pitched it to to Dwayne, I, I think he, it made a lot of sense to him. I and mean, we have very aspirational goals to really restructure 
Hawaii's economy so that there's an economic cell plan and an educational cell plan that is right in sync. Mm-hmm. And as Rich stated earlier, to, to have a place where people can thrive here, you know, the average person should be able to thrive here, shouldn't have to leave Hawaii to do that. Now, Rich, uh, your role in the change framework is part of the C, which is the community and, and economy. economy. Mm-hmm. And, and out of that, you have been very active in putting together like the, the, uh, the innovation um, uh, task force, right? right? And I've, uh, you know, I've had many of those people that are mm-hmm. on the task force, part of the show, and we've, you know, we've talked about their individual programs. But maybe tell me a little bit about how you decided to kind of tackle the, the, the economy piece of the change framework, and how did the the innovation task force really kind of come out of that? Right. So, so uh, my involvement goes back uh, a lot of years to um, when the business roundtable mm-hmm. started working on on economic climate and diversification of the economy. Where are we going to grow and how are we going to keep our economy robust? And we started looking at this because when when you think about what areas are next, you know, we know we're not going to be a manufacturing center. We know we're not going to be a raw materials exporter. It's the number of areas that are available for us to grow in a way that's compatible with our environment and keeping the beauty of Hawaii uh, as as it is and being attractive as a hospitality spot, the, the list is pretty short, mm-hmm. right? And when you look at where do we have strength to build on and why, why can we build a sustainable economy off of it, the, the, it the, you start to get really focused on this technology and, and the opportunities surrounding the universities. <clears throat> so... So we started looking at other communities, right? And we would go to see San Diego. You go to Austin, or now you go to Salt Lake. And you see these these technology communities booming in these places. And they, they all center around a decision by the community to to grow this segment, to build off the expertise and, and resources of their universities, and to, to create a dynamic environment where uh, commercialization and innovation can thrive. And for me, I just truly believe this is the best area that we can create a new set of growth opportunities for Hawaii. It lines up with creating the diversity of opportunity that will keep kids who want to work in this space here in Hawaii to do it. And, and it solves several problems at the same time. And that's why we got involved and said, you know, we really need to run this down. So who who are some of the people that you tap to be a part of the Innovation Task Force? So um, actually, I invited myself into the work of other people, right? Because uh, the biggest thing that we knew was there was a, a lot of work going on from the venture Hawaii Venture Capital Association mm-hmm. people. The A lot of the people, you know, you know, the Elemental Accelerator Group, Don Lippert and her team, the the Sultans who were running Accelerate UH, the um, Melly James and who's now doing Mana Up mm-hmm. uh, and who was Venture Capital, uh, Shanoa Farnsworth and the Blue Group, mm-hmm. right, the Blue Startups. So a lot of activity was here despite the fact that we weren't a wonderful place to do business. And there was just determination and grit and creativity among this group. And so what we tried to do was was listen and first come in and say, you guys, it's it's amazing what you're doing in this environment where it's not easy to do business. How can we help knock things out of the way so you can do more? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so that was one big piece. 
The other, the other part was to really try to punch holes in the sort of this figurative wall between the university and the, the business community, right? Because there, were, there was a lot of great um, capability and expertise there, but we, we weren't engaging together. And there were a lot of things that were driving more of an insulation rather than an integration. And so we started working with people who were willing to take some risk, were willing to stand up and say, here's what should change. And, and so that was with President Lasner, with Vasilis Sirmos over there, the v- vice president of research. And then you get down to different professors who were in there who were really doing amazing work. There's Dr. Paul Lucy, there's David Carl, there's Magdi, uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of really good professors who have things, who were willing to take some risks and engage. Now, uh, Michael refers to sort of collective action. Is the is the innovation, um, you know, the task force have they identified some actual sort of tasks that they want to undertake? Yeah. So, uh, if you if you look at what is helpful in these other other communities, it's really that that engagement and trying to get these collisions between business challenges and opportunities and the innovative entrepreneurial community and and the researchers who have potential solutions that we don't have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we started down a number of paths. There's five real <coughs> roles that we wanted to try to get people engaged in. And the first one was around really just, it's the easiest one. It's understanding why it's important and singing from that song sheet so that we can create a commitment in the community to to really make this happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The second piece was around these programs that are already in place, these these uh, mentorship programs, whether it's the accelerators or the incubators, that there's great experience among our leadership and, and executives in the community and business people who live here who came from uh, the mainland and the West Coast and the venture capital. Get them engaged to help the companies. There's a third area of... Be helping our companies becoming early adopters of the op- of the technology or the ideas that the entrepreneurs have, and give them a chance to get uh, business here in their own backyard. Because if they can't get business here, what's the chance they're going to get business somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And and so we work through that. There's um, creating internships and workplace learning opportunities from both at the undergrad and the graduate level, where we can bring these these uh, technologists, entrepreneurs into our companies to work with us so that we get firsthand knowledge of the expertise that's here and the ideas. And then finally, there's creating investment funds because if the companies are going to succeed, they need to be able to get capital here to stay here. And so we're working each of those areas. And what was what was helpful with the co- becoming part of the change framework and morphing this into that is we have a bigger audience of people who are understanding now why this is important and a bigger audience of people who are raising their hand to help. So now I, I do want to ask Micah about more of the sort of collective action as, as it pertains to, you know, some of the other uh, alphabets in the, in the change framework. Again, we're going to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Rich Wacker and Micah Kane. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Rich Wacker and Micah Kane about challenges and accomplishments in the innovation economy in 2019. And right before the break, uh, you know, we're talking about some of the collective actions that the the Innovation Task Force has kind of identified, and and um, I think that was a, a great way of of crystallizing some things to to really kind of work on. And and so, Micah, in terms of the overall change framework, I mean, what do you see as some of the other kinds of uh, actions that people can take? Because I know you you've you've put a lot of emphasis on you know let's let's kind of like uh, stop the talking and let's start the doing. And so, what are what are some of the things that you've identified? Well, in 2019, um, it was our first effort to start building that muscle and actually taking action on some of the data points that we felt were really pushing um, Hawaii in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. In the education committee, under the leadership of uh, CEO of Kamehameha Schools, Jack Wong, and um, CEO of the Castle Foundation, Terry George, um, they were working very closely with Superintendent uh, Christina Kishimoto. And the issue that she surfaced, which was which was pertinent in the, in the data, was that teacher retention in Hawaii was going in the wrong direction, and there's a lot of it. So in 20... Um, 17 of the 10,000 public school teachers that are needed in Hawaii, we had a shortage of 1,000. We had 1,000 vacancies. So we have 1,000 uncertified teachers in our classroom. In 2018, it went to 1,300. So we had a 30% increase in in vacancies. And so that became kind of a crisis issue. When Mm -hmm. you look under that number, you see that the biggest cost driver of moving those, the reason why those teachers were leaving in the first place was they they couldn't afford to live here. Biggest cost driver was the cost of housing there. And so we partnered um, with members of the community economy side that has housing affordability and we they searched and they found a company out of San Francisco called Landed. Um, We established uh, memorandums of agreements with the four banks, Bank of Hawaii, First Hawaiian Bank, Central Pacific Bank, and of course American Savings (laughs) Bank. Um, and on a on a memo memorandum of agreement that would normally take six months to a year, they got it done in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was because the leaders understood the data, they understood um, the crisis that we were in. They came together as leaders. They actually did the training for um, for the um, um, the loan, loan agents origination. for the loan originators, all mm-hmm. in the same room across multiple banks, which you'd never see. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was launched in, in August of last year. Today, we have 900 teachers who are going through the pre-qual process. Um, they're starting to close on those loans. This is a co-investment, um, social impact investment strategy where this company, through philanthropic dollars, are co-investing up to 50% of the down payment of that loan up to $110,000. And and since then, this program has now migrated to the University of Hawaii because the professors of the University of Hawaii have the same problem. And so that's just one example of how leadership um, is trying to take action on some of these issues and not waiting for others to come and solve this problem for us. Speaking of uh, others to come solve the uh, problem for us, I mean, where does does government come into play and, and how does... How does government play into your change framework? Well, government plays a critical piece in in this framework. Uh, I mean, systems change requires policy change. It's without question. But, you know, all too often, they're the bailout for us. You know, and when things aren't going well, it's easy to just point the finger Mm -hmm. at policymakers. They're an easy target. 
I think what we're trying to do is saying that this this is co-ownership right now. There's no one sector of our community that needs to take this on. I don't think the capacity is in, in any one, one sector. And so, again, if we can look at common data, create shared goals, take collective action, we have the capacity to solve our problem, but it's not going to be any one sector, any one leader. It's going to be, you know, all of us coming together. Right, and I think to add to that, I think our, you know, in the past, we may have had an instinct that says, okay, somebody should do something about this. Let's go to the ledge. Let's go to the administration. And say, and I think what's, what you, we see today is people are saying, okay, we need to get involved and do this, and let's work with them, and let's talk to them about what the roles are and what, and what the roles should be, right? So for the innovation space, we shouldn't be going to the ledge and asking them to give investment money in venture capital. That That is not a role for government money. But supporting the business environment and creating the business climate and the regulatory environment that will help this grow is, right? And so a couple of years ago, we got uh, carve-outs from some of the regulations that allowed the university uh, innovators to actually participate in commercialization opportunities of their stuff. So we're, they can help tear down the barriers that are in the way and help facilitate the the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. environment and the ecosystem. But w- but we need to be sure that we're asking the, the government to do what it should and not what the private sector needs to step up and do. Now, a couple of things that happened in 2019, which I think are, are notable, and I'd like to get your impressions of, of uh, perhaps its potential. One was the, the fact that, uh, you know, there was some government monies that went into the building of the sandbox, and mm-hmm. that is an actual building where people can convene and actually do some, some interesting collaborations. And another thing was the, uh, the True Initiative, which kind mm-hmm. of actually is housed at the sandbox. Right. I mean, maybe you can, f- you know, share some thoughts on what you see uh, you know, in terms of that being something established in 2019. Right, and that's a great, uh, those are great examples of good public-private partnerships. So Stanford Carr mm-hmm. Development built the sandbox with partial funding, and Stanford spent more because he was doing what he does and making it a great facility. But it wasn't, we didn't have a crisp plan on how it was going to be used. And so another one of the teams, led by Paul Yanamini, stepped up to say, we should really look at how we can translate existing technology and existing uh, uh, capabilities that aren't widely deployed in Hawaii. And it might be hard for any one company to, to figure it out and what's the best way to deploy that for, for themselves. But if we collaborate, we can look at some of those things together and find ways that we can make it available to, to multiple companies. So looking at things like applications of artificial intelligence, what's, what's the best way that we can work together to, uh, to deploy those things that are actually commercially available today mm-hmm. for making our companies more competitive and more effective? So it's that kind of thing that they're doing there, which is another, I think, really good um, effort to step up together to find common common leverage, common productivity. So, Micah, if people want to find out more about the the, the change uh, framework, um, where can they go on the web? Changeforhawaii.org. Change uh, very Hawaii.org. simple. Okay. Yeah, www.changeforhawaii.org. And then will, will sort of progress uh, be kind of reflected via the website? Yeah, I mean, some of our some of our, um, our work is being done already. Uh, it's being posted up there. So we would really encourage people to hit the website. Sounds good. Rich Wacker is the president and CEO of American Savings 
Bank. And Micah Kane is the president and CEO of Hawaii Community Foundation. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us, and Merry Christmas to you and your family, Bert. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks, Bert. And thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we will continue with part two of our series and look at goals for 2020. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay awesome, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. 